Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Nutrition Challenge Insiders podcast, where in season three, we are busting some myths. Today, we are challenging the idea that we can crunch our way to a six-pack, so we're demystifying spot reduction. I'm Carissa McKay, one of the Edmonton Health Promotion Specialists, and joining me again today is Jeremy Parasini, Reconditioning Specialist in Sunny Suffield. Hello, and welcome back. Hello again. Thrilled to be here, Carissa. Excellent. So in this episode, the myth that we are tackling is this notion of spot reduction. Is it possible to get a six-pack either in the kitchen or by crunching your way to those magazine cover apps? This has been a long-standing, well, let's call it belief that by doing leg raises, for example, you could shape and tone your hips. By grabbing the old thigh master, we could achieve that coveted thigh gap. And by doing crunches and planks and those things that Rocky did while hanging off the rafters, you could get both rock hard and crazily defined abs. While we know that what we're inherently doing is working the muscles like underneath that we can't necessarily see until you get to be where Rocky's at, we also know that some of the muscles like the ones that you're working, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the ones that you're working when you're doing leg lifts, you think that you're working your glutes, but you're actually working the fairly small accessory muscles. Is that a fair assumption? Certainly can be the case. And if the body's functioning normally, especially during gait, during running, then yes, quite often what's really important to that good quality movement is using the smaller muscles that are very deep. Yes. Okay, good. So you think you're doing this. You think that what you're doing is like sculpting the glutes that the world sees as it were. But really, there's a lot of literally below the surface stuff that's going on that's never going to be that aesthetic that people are necessarily working towards. So Jeremy, tell me about this ridiculously long-lived theory and what might actually be going on. I'm going to respond first to the preface that you made that that it's very intuitive that it's the skeletal muscle underneath skin that's being stressed with physical activity. Okay. Because I'm, I'm not so sure that is so intuitive. It's very intuitive to insiders in physical fitness and human performance. I think there is a little bit of confusion about what exactly is happening during physical exercise. The fact that there is a layer of skin that has fat attached to it. And that is what most of us don't like about our physique when it gets excessive anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And that that is a separate structure from skeletal muscle, which is deep to that, right? Skeletal muscle has some fat in it. By the way, this is a depressing thing about getting older, but your your muscle's always getting fatter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's one of the ways you can tell, well, muscle fiber from an old human being from a younger one. But, But apart from that, really, most of us are concerned about the fat that's on top. And so with physical activity, just because you're putting skeletal muscle under stress and it's metabolizing a lot, it isn't necessarily the case that it's taking fat from its own local area, right? Okay. So really, I think that there are three salient points to make. I'm going to unpack each one of these very briefly. But the first point is that there are some intuitions that are obviously true. One of them is that the effects of physical exercise are local to the area that are being exercised. If you were to just do like the concentration curl, if you were to just curl your left arm, Mm -hmm. right, it's very obvious that the muscle of that left arm would respond more than the muscle of the right arm that's not moving, right? Or to use, and this works in the other way as well. So a quadriplegic or biplegic, someone who is incapable of moving the skeletal muscle voluntarily of the lower limb, right? Mm -hmm. Those lower limbs atrophy, right? right? But the upper body doesn't, which is still moving. So it's very intuitive that skeletal muscle will grow in response to physical exercise. Right. That's true. By the way, it's not only skeletal muscle, it's fascia and you can do damage to ligaments and tendons, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's the first salient point. Yes, nobody can dispute that physical exercise 
the effects can be localized. The second intuition is the troubling one. It's that local subcutaneous fat is affected by the activity of local skeletal muscle. That I feel like that's an intuition that's sneaking in there, right? Okay. I, I pointed out at first that there is fat running along the filaments, the fibers, not the filaments, the fibers within skeletal muscle. So whether or not that fat is more vulnerable to being metabolized when that very muscle, muscle nearby that is, is being used. It's unclear, but I think that's getting lost in the weeds. Let's talk about the fat that's attached to the skin and nearby, right? Mm -hmm. It can be the case that when that skeletal muscle in the local area needs energy, it could be the case that it's getting that energy or that it's being delivered that energy from fat. It's, by the way, not necessarily true. The point is there would be a way to make it so that fat is the source of the energy that's being metabolized. Now the question is, which fat? It's not like there's no portal. There's no like expressway. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's coming from general circulation. Right. Okay. Why could not it be the case that it gets its fat from whatever target cell happens to be stimulated to give it up? Whether that target cell happens to be in the arms, the chest, the back. That's the reason that this intuition starts to collapse. It's that skeletal muscles getting supplied by general circulation with at least the substrates that it's using to metabolize, right? And now I'm going to get to my third salient point, which is... The charitable one to the intuition of spot reduction, it's that what I've just described is that it's it's not necessarily true that spot reduction takes place. I can't collapse the possibility that it could take place, okay. okay? Not only through random chance, but also through strategies that are highly tailored to induce it, okay? Nowadays, fairly recently, there's more investigation being done into this, into how very wonky people like me could actually make this happen using, by straining really hard. And what I'll say about it is that to the extent that it's possible to induce this, the training methodology that you'd use bears nearly zero resemblance to the type of physical activity that you see being done in gyms recreationally. For example, the investigation I looked into that had the best results, what they did is, to describe it generally, they had these people do resistance training. So like using weight machines. I think it was mostly cables and pulley devices, right? So okay. these would look like leg extensions or stuff like that. So they had them do that first. And then subsequent to that, had them them do cardio. That might not seem like terribly foreign. Like, oh, you're listening to this. You're probably thinking, well, I do a cardio combination of cardio and weights when I go into the gym. Yeah, sure you do. But here's what the resistance training looked like. It was 60% of a one repetition maximum at maximal velocity. So let's unpack that. What that basically means is it was extremely high intensity resistance training. They called it explosive resistance training. Okay. I mean, who goes into a gym and does the leg extension at such a uh, specific, percentage of your maximum and then monitors the speed that you're doing it at. And then if you do monitor the speed you're doing at, making sure that it's 100% of your maximum speed. Right. In other words, you tap yourself out every single time at the end of each and every set. You right. just pummel yourself and then you do cardio. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's not that's right. not happening for the most that part. is so artificial right <laughs> this podcast here the scholarly research project we're unpacking the behaviors that are very popular in the general public right and so i think 
that most people, when they when they think they're spot reducing, they're just thinking, I, by, let's say, by going on a leg extension machine and, and extending my knee over and over and over again, that should make my thighs reduce. That's what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And But the interesting thing there is, I mean, there's a couple of pieces. There's the piece around, we're not a scholarly entity in which we're looking very specifically and very on this microcellular level at what's happening. It's yeah. when those little bits of research get out into the mainstream that somebody will glom onto it and manipulate it so that it becomes a replica of that but so far removed from what they were actually doing in the lab but they're saying but this is what they did in the lab right like this is how myths become common practice this is how things become activities that people do because they've taken a tiny little piece of it and created an entire program around it it's a case where a little bit of information can do a lot of damage yeah and i mean damage not even like let's just say that people were doing it properly right like let's not even go into the area where we're concerned about what their form is looking like and who's monitoring it and the health of the joints and ligaments and all of that that's involved. Let's just assume from a safety perspective, an injury reduction perspective, that things are okay, that there's some attention being paid to that. But I think moreover, what is so frustrating about this is that people are led to believe that this is actually going to do something that in their heart of hearts, they've always been wanting. As much as we talk about it, and we will continue to talk about it because that's why we're busting these myths. But at the end of the day, there's this belief that people can change ultimately what it is that they look like, that we are going to be able to take me at point A and turn me into some imaginary point B me in the future by doing programs X, Y, and Z. And it's that belief that we then hold on to that actually is proving based on what you've just shared with us to be unlikely to happen that we create this sense of constant self-defeat. What do you mean it's not working? How come nothing's changing? I'm doing exactly what these people said that I should do based on this quote unquote research. So here we're trying to be all evidence-based, science-based, based, randomized, controlled, double-blind studies, and all of these things, but the research has essentially been bastardized, and now people start to question the legitimacy of the things that we're trying to say. But no, that's not what was intended. That wasn't what was meant. I think that that there's a lot of damage that's done from those kinds of extrapolations, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Anyway, so I thought maybe we could, well, we could unpack that a little bit more right now. Do you want to talk about elite endurance runners being very lean in the lower body? Sure, as compared to... (laughs) (laughs) So now you've just collapsed it in a hurry there, right? I don't want to leave the point too soon. It's very obvious to me that there's some aspects of the intuition that just have to be true because it's just obvious to take another example that elite swimmers, so this is a movement that's heavily reliant on the, well, disproportionately reliant on upper body endurance strength power, right? That they're very lean in the upper body. Everybody knows this. There's even a V shape to the lats specifically, right? Mm -hmm. Very broad shoulders and narrow at the waist, you know? How does that not disprove what I'm saying? Well, the fact is they're, let's use elite swimmers just to be reductive, but specific. They're very lean overall. Right. Right. It's not, it's not that they're, we're seeing fatness in the lower body, leanness in the upper body. It's leanness overall. And where you are seeing the body change its shape, completely doable with muscles getting bigger. Exactly. Right. Which is a separate piece from whatever is happening to the fat that's nearby. Or if you want to take the inverse case, you want to talk about ways that you can mostly misbehave to make the body get smaller, especially if you take this to the outer extreme, Mm -hmm. atrophy. Mm -hmm. That's a question of mainly what is happening with skeletal 
skeletal muscle, which is very responsive to its own movement. It's a separate piece from, right. from the skin. So I think that's a very skin deep intuition right there. Just looking at what athletes look like in different sports and extrapolating from that. Mm-hmm. Very superficial one. Well, and so two two points there, if I can remember, because I usually say there's two points, then I get through one and then I forget what the other one was going to be. But so the first one is the counterintuitive piece to that is if a person wants to go and have nice arms, nice biceps, nice shoulders, what do they do? Like you said, concentration curls, bicep curls, anything that's going to work that muscle. So you're already thinking, I want nicer biceps. They need to therefore be bigger. So you need to be able to see them. So this speaks a little bit to what you're talking about in terms of, you know, the overall leanness that we're dealing with right off the hop. But we're spot training an area which we want to get bigger, right? But then we take that example and we say, okay, well, I want my waist to be smaller. So I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to do exercises that I think are going to whittle away at my waist. But if if the same principle is being applied, I'm adding weight and doing work on my biceps, which I want to get bigger. How then does it translate that if I'm going to do work on my waist, how does it go smaller, right? Like it doesn't make sense. Oh, I've often thought of that. Yeah. Like (laughs) all these people doing crunches. Like, so, so like firstly, it's important to unpack something like it's possible to stress out a muscle in a way that actually does cause it to not become bigger. This, we call this endurance training, right? Right. It's why a marathon runner doesn't have huge arm or leg muscles rather. Yeah. Right. So the muscles responding, it's super compensating in different ways, different ways that do not involve it getting bigger. Right. So I suppose it would be possible to train abdominal muscle, like muscle that's in the region of the trunk. It'd be Mm -hmm. possible to train that to adapt in the same ways that the muscles of, let's say, a quad muscles of an endurance runner are responding. It's possible to do that. Bodybuilders, for example, Mm -hmm. here we have a population that wants to enlarge the muscles, like the ab muscles, right? Mm -hmm. And they do. Mm -hmm. I don't think most people want their ab muscles to get huge right? like that. I mean, some do, right? But most people just want less fat in the area. There is a six pack underneath there. And if you've done a cadaver dissection, you know that. Right. Everyone, no matter what your age, no matter what your sex, it's all there. It's just hidden under a layer of fat. It's the fat that people don't like. And if you want to do something about that, this is maybe a subject for another podcast, but more and more as well as I become more and more experienced in this field, the more convinced I am that that is a question of, to the extent you're going to succeed in doing it, it's a question of modifying your diet. I think it's both. I don't think it can ever be one or the other. And absolutely, I think we need to revisit this because I think it's a message that people need to hear on a regular basis. Say it can't be one or the other. It can't be short term. It can't be these like flash in the pan things. It needs to be a consistent, long-term, sustained, reasonable approach to everything that you're doing. So my second point, which I did actually remember, and your discussion around the ultimate battle between building up muscle and reducing that subcutaneous fat layer is back our swimmers have there ever been any comparative tests done where they've looked at the upper and lower body fat of swimmers and compared that to the same sets of upper body fat numbers of other people perhaps like you know people that do more whole body exercises a basketball player mm-hmm. they're doing everything they're running they're dribbling they're shooting they need to have strong upper body strength my husband was watching highlight reel and Steph Curry was warming up and he was standing on the golden state emblem at center court and he was hitting like swish no rim from center court basket after basket after basket so that's upper body strength and and training and accuracy and all those things but I mean you try lobbing a basketball from center court and even getting anywhere near (laughs) near the basketball net right that to say like have they done that like do we know or is it exactly what you're saying they appear to be lean in the upper body but really what we're seeing is that they're lean everywhere yeah the truth is I don't know here here is one investigation that I am aware of which speaks with these 
these researchers did was they trained the non-dominant leg of a group of human beings, right? Okay. Who were mm -hmm. sedentary to begin with, I believe. Just that non-dominant leg, not the dominant one. And it was resistance training and it was high levels of fatigue that they induced and they're very systematic about it. And it was very long-term. And then they looked at what responded or how fat mass responded, if at all. They did notice that fat mass was reduced. It appears that this activity did cause fat mass to go down mm -hmm. in the upper body. Mm, interesting. Okay. It's, it's conceivable that there are very narrow ways to localize a specific local area, but to do it is probably way more complicated than you think. Right. It's as highly tenuous as it has ever been. Right. That fat mass responds locally to local exercise. Right. Right. Which leads us to your next intuition point. I wonder if lactic acid burn is, do you think it's possible that, that people think that there's actually burning taking place? Like how... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm very serious. No, like, yeah, I, I because it, no. it feels like burning, doesn't it? Like it, it feels like there's acid in there or something. Yeah, like yeah. there must be, there must be tissue getting broken down there. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't mean to laugh because it's only the fact that I'm I'm specialized in this very field. I mean, there's other fields you could fool me as well, right? So it's just that like, understand like you're getting some acidity when muscle is fatigued, when it's in a highly fatigued state. So like when it's worked a lot and it's struggling to find the substrate that it needs to work anymore, right. then it shifts into different gears and things happen that result in acidity building up. We're not talking about high levels of acidity. We're not talking about any thing that is remotely close to being able to degrade mm -hmm. to chemically degrade fat i mean mm -hmm. it would degrade muscle if that were true mm -hmm. right if, if this were true mm -hmm. then high schwarzenegger you know people like that they wouldn't have built up muscle they would have been this would have been an exercise in beating themselves down and becoming thinner and thinner right, right? that's right. obviously not how their muscle responded right so yeah the burn that you're feeling there it, it's not fat being degraded it is acidity you know that's what the body's sensing there but it, it's such a low grade of acidity it's and it's definitely not burning. It's so sad because I can totally relate to that because, you know, on days that I've done jump lunges or jump squats or whatever, and the next day I'm like feeling it. And you just, how can it be that I'm feeling like with every single stride, like how tight it feels? And, you know, as a result of that burning sensation that I felt the day prior. And yet I feel it should be like this really great uplifted effect every single time. But alas, no, it's exactly the yeah. same. So right. it does, it does lead one to say there's clearly more that's going on to this like belief that we have that simply doing these exercises over and over again is going to result in some magical transformation I think that's at, at the heart of it that is what we long to believe because we would love for it to be that quote unquote easy which goes into the goal of like what is the goal of spot reducing what really is the goal Carissa <laughs> I don't know. What is the goal? Again, back to the bicep versus the abs, you know, like, do I want the muscle to get bigger? Do I want the muscle to get smaller or the area to get smaller? So a tennis player, they're working everything. You know, you think, oh, they're just going to, they need to be really strong and they need to be able to smash that ball. But it's everything, right? They don't just hit a ball over and over and over again, although yes, they do. But it's forehand, backhand, different muscles. They're running, there's agility. They need to make sure that they've got great endurance because 
these tennis matches last forever, in my opinion. My husband watches tennis again, and I'm like, how is this still not over? But so that's a long time that they're in the heat a lot of the time too, right? Like, so there is some huge endurance and stamina that's involved. And all of that training, it's like the full package. And I think that that's probably the biggest takeaway from this is rather than focusing on these small areas, think about the full package. Because I think that we can really only ever be a bigger or smaller version of ourselves. I'm not going to do the exercise that you mentioned earlier, where you're like doing 60% of max at 100% intensity and then throwing myself on the treadmill, like never going to happen. I'm just happy that I get my workout in such as it is every morning. But the idea that we're going to be able to take a page out of the Kardashian playbook, that's how it starts. I was at the grocery store the other day and there was a cover of a magazine and there's a picture of the Kardashian sisters. And I think their coach might have coach in quotation marks was in the background. And the magazine literally said that if you do what they're coach tells you, you too can have a Kardashian body. And I'm sorry, but I hate to break it to you. Only a visit to Dr. Miami is going to get you a Kardashian body because it doesn't exist. It's not real. All the crunches and hip lifts and squats in the world are not going to get you anything that resembles that. Because we also know that because they've been very vocal about it, the amount of surgical procedures that they've had to create this complete artificial. And yet this is how we then are like badgered into believing if only you were better at what you were doing, whether that's in the kitchen or at the gym, you too could achieve this. And I think that that at the end of the day is the thing that just, it makes me really sad. And it also makes me really angry. You know, here's a thought I've often had. There's something satisfying about spot reduction. Like if you have, let's say you've overeaten, you know, and you really enjoyed it, obviously when you're doing it, but now you recognize what you've done and you regret doing it. Right. I don't think like if you think, well, you know, it's, it's my, it's too much fat around my trunk. I don't like, so I'm going to punish that area and I'm sort of the end of the day thus I'm, I'm sort of reaching an equilibrium there you know like I treated mm-hmm. it and I'm going to punish it like very <laughs> sure. ne- no like I really yeah. think that this yeah. is this is yeah. some of the psychology of oh, it for sure the pity of it is is that physical exercise doesn't need to be a form of punishment exactly there's so much joy that you're capable of getting from movement just mm-hmm. from simple movement mm-hmm. you know and I wish that that was more prevalent that was easier to do yeah. culturally yeah. and in other ways is I just think that people who know what I'm talking about right there resonate with that idea there you're healthier for that for sure know, so I and I, I think that, that I mean it goes back to like kind of the population that we work with our my talk target population the people that you work with on a literal daily basis you can pass your force test without looking like i don't know arnold schwarzenegger you don't need to look like an adonis to pass your force test you can pass your force test and look like an average person and honestly i think there's kind of a little bit more of a je ne sais quoi about that it's like oh whatever you can't and and then you just slam it out and you're like yeah i can it's the stuff that's below the surface and i thought i think is really the piece that like you're saying if we could focus on why do i want to move i want to be stronger i want to be faster i want to be fitter and just divorce that idea from and I need to look a certain way right can Mm -hmm. it be just the one and if Mm -hmm. something happens with time and that commitment and that sustaining effort that there is a shift well that's a bonus but in the meantime you've got all the benefits from doing that very 
consistently and having the satisfaction of, you know, seeing those improvements and your doctor being happy when you go for your checkup and he says, wow, your blood pressure and your blood sugars and everything, it's looking great. Is that not in and of itself sufficient reward? But we live in a society that is so outside, exterior, superficial focused. It's it's really, really hard. It's a it's going to be a really long and uphill battle for, for people, I think. Yeah. And, and let, let, let's just close on this question of whether or not physical activity is well, I suppose really you've addressed it already. What I was going to say is whether physical activity in the first place is really an effective way of becoming more lean mm-hmm. in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right? It's very clear that there's a two-pronged approach. This is nothing startling. This is not a startling intuition that the you know the, the healthy and effective approach to weight loss is two-pronged. Number one, physical activity. Well, number one is nutrition. Number two is physical activity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like physical activity on its own, I'm very suspicious of that as an approach. And within the two-pronged approach, I'm feeling more and more over time that it is nutrition that is, if you're going to succeed, is going to play the, the bigger of the two roles. The last thing, last point I want to say about that is that another reason I'm worried about physical activity being too closely linked to improvements in body physique mm-hmm. is that that, to the extent that it exists, this link between those two that I mentioned, it is certainly dissipating as you get older, okay? Yeah. By which I mean your ability to change your physique based on your physical exercise is it's an ability that's dissipating over time as you get older. And yet it is it is still something that is, in fact, in older years could even be more important. Absolutely. For your health. Absolutely. Right. If you can have a healthy relationship with exercise, the earlier that you get into that state, the better. The better for your health, the, the happier you'll be. Absolutely. I think that that's probably a really great parting thought for people to chew over and mull as we say farewell. So thank you again so much, Jeremy, for as ever, lots of great scientific insights. And I I think that we need to really remember that we have to always be a critical thinker. You know, that whole notion of if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. We need to really think about it. What is it that we're doing? Are we doing this because we love the idea of movement, whatever that might look like for you? Or is it because it's with an eye towards getting something? I think that we need to really recognize that what we think that we're striving for is either airbrushed, surgically altered, or there's some people out there that just have simply amazing genetics and we're not all so fortunate. So any other thoughts or final words that you would like to share? No, I think uh, it's a fascinating subject and uh, maybe one one final point. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to more research being done that actually is linking spot reduction to physical activity. Mm-hmm. Every investigation that I've cited right now is far from closely linking these two. So I hope nobody misunderstands understands that there's been a tight linking, that there's been a robust linking of these two. That's by no means the case. This is all very preliminary. Exactly. And I think that that's a really important takeaway too. As much as we see the science, when it's done on small populations, in very controlled environments, with very specific measurements and calibrations, it's not something that can be just immediately transferred to be able to be applied to the public. So yeah, no, really good word of caution there for sure. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. And thank you to everybody out there for listening as ever. Do what you like to do that makes you feel good. Movement is good for the body and for the soul. Be sure to follow us at PSP Edmonton Health Promotion on Facebook and Instagram. And we look forward to the next episode where we consider whether it's really all about the macros. Until then, take care, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the flip-flop.